And I want to encourage you to do exactly what they're doing after the service to find her and give her a big hug uh, today or next weekend as we send her off. Well, hey, once again, my name is Ken, and I'm the lead pastor of our Huntington Beach campus. And I remember as a kid, one of my favorite things to to do was to play hide and seek. Raise your hand if you loved hide and seek as a kid. All right, my people, the godly people are here. Great, good service. So... I loved hide-and-seek, and and one of my favorite things about playing this game was when I was hiding to try to find the craziest, like, best spot that no one could find me, right? That we all love trying to come up with creative ideas of ways to to, to hide somewhere that no one would find you. And so I remember uh, at our house, we had a basement, and so in the basement, uh, we'd be playing hide-and-go-seek in the house, and I would go down there, and I found out that I could crawl up into the rafters, okay? So I found the spot. I would be laying across these rafters, just kind of looking down, peeking, and, and the person who was seeking would literally have to look up in order to find me. And so I was, like, so proud of this. Here I am, 34 years old, and that's still my proud hide-and-seek moment. I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. No one could find me. Um, and so I loved that game. But there were some times where I did not enjoy hide-and-seek. And those were the times when everyone else quit playing the game, but they never told me. <laughs> you been there before? Yeah, it's painful. So sometimes I was hiding, and then uh, the, the people seeking quit seeking. You guys have been there before, right? And so you're hiding and you're waiting, <laughs> and no one's looking for you, right? And so uh, that, that happened to me sometimes. Uh, but don't worry, I've done therapy and counseling. I've kind of worked through all the wounds, and so I'm okay with that now. Um, but so sometimes that would happen, or the, the opposite would happen. I was the one seeking... And everyone else kind of gave up on the game, but they never told me. I don't know if that ever happened to you, but I'm counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and they're like, yeah, we're done with the game. And everyone went outside, and they're playing soccer or something else. And so nine Mississippi, ten Mississippi, ready or not, here I come. And so I'm looking for people, and no one's in the house. And so like I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm not finding anyone. I'm like, wow, they've got some really good hiding spots this time, you know? And so I'm searching, and I couldn't find anyone. And sometimes looking at the difficult questions in life that we ask can kind of feel like that game of hide-and-seek where you're never finding the answers. Sometimes there's difficult questions in life that we ask, that we, we seek the answers, and we don't find those answers. For example, you go to the movie theater or you're sitting on the airplane and you sit down in your seat and you look at the stranger sitting next to you and then you look at the armrest in between you And the question is, whose armrest is that, right? Is that yours? Is that mine? You ever been there? And you're looking at them, you're like, I was here first. You look stronger and bigger than me. So like, how are we going to work this out? One of those unsolved questions in life, difficult questions to answer is, whose armrest is that? Or another one is, uh, have you ever thought about the fact that when we, we drive on a parkway, and then we park on a driveway, right? One of life's mysteries that is never going to be solved, like I don't understand how these things work. Or think about this. Let's say you have a bunch of cats, which first of all, you should not have a bunch of cats, okay? Just saying. Can I get an amen for my dog people? Amen. Sorry, cat ladies. All right, anyway, so let's say you... <laughs> At least we know where I stand on this issue, okay? A very important theological issue. Uh, and so, let's say you have a bunch of cats, and they all pile on top of one another. Is it still called the dog pile? One of life's mysteries, one of the questions we'll never find the answer to, okay? So those are some silly 
questions that we grapple with. But doesn't life serve us some more serious questions as well? You see, there are things in life that can have us wondering and scratching our heads going, God, where are you in this? And in this series, we're asking that question, where is God when life gets hard? And there are questions that, that, that can begin to have us wondering, God, why don't you do something about this? God, why don't you intervene? God, why don't you sort these things out differently than you do? We see pain and suffering all around us. It might be the fact that at your work, there's that like ungodly, selfish jerk who gets promoted, and then the godly Christian gets let go. And you're like, God, why do you allow that? God, why don't you do something about this? Or maybe it's the person who is uh, unhealthy. The unhealthy guy eats bacon every day, never exercises, smokes two packs of cigarettes, and he lives until he's 102. And then the seemingly healthy mother of three kids tragically dies of cancer at 42. And you go, God, why do you allow this? God, why don't you do something about this? God, why don't you intervene? Or we we see on the news as a gunman opens up fire on an innocent crowd at a concert in Las Vegas or a church in Texas or at schools across our nation. We go, God, why don't you do something about this? These are difficult questions that we grapple with. And if you're new here to church, it's like, welcome to happy, clappy Beach Point Church. We're glad you're here. But this is the reality of the world that we live in and the questions that we wrestle with. Or maybe uh, it's the, the person who's on their third DUI and they survive the car wreck, but the innocent driver and their four-year-old son dies. Or there's the, the lady who hops from bed to bed to bed, unwanted pregnancy after unwanted pregnancy after unwanted pregnancy. And then the couple whose godly prayer more than anything else is, God, would you give us a baby? And you don't seem to be answering their prayer. God, where are you? Why don't you do something about it? Or you as a family, your dog gets sick. And so you with the kids and everyone, you, you gather around the dog and you pray for God to heal Fido and God miraculously answers that prayer. But when you gathered together to pray for grandma, God didn't stop her cancer. These are the difficult questions that can have us wondering, God, where are you in the midst of our pain and our suffering? God, where are you in the midst of this evil? Why don't you do something about the injustice? And thankfully, there was a prophet in the Bible who was asking God these exact same questions. His name is Habakkuk. And uh, depending on on how you uh, learn how to say his name, you might say it differently. Um, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. If you're from the south, you might say Habakkuk. Um, but let me just say, it's a Hebrew name, and it's all good. Just however you want to say his name, just say it confidently, and everyone's like, that's great. Um, some of you don't know how to say his name at all because you've never heard of this name before, but trust me, it's in the Bible. This is a prophet. Um, and we, what we see is that Habakkuk, he was a prophet who was kind of unique because most of the prophets, they would hear from God and speak on behalf of God to the people. But Habakkuk, what he did was he took these big questions that he was wondering, and he went to God and spoke on behalf of the people to God. And so his three-chapter book is really this dialogue of Habakkuk with God. And he's wondering and he's questioning, God, why don't you do something about all this evil that I see? 
And so he lived about 600 years before Jesus, 600 BC. And uh, at the time, he's looking around at his nation and saying, God, there's injustice, there's abuse, there's all this evil and violence. Why don't you do something about it? And if you're familiar with Bible history, you might remember that the nation of Israel, after its third king, uh, the nation split into two. And so there was the northern kingdom of Israel that had 10 tribes, and then the southern kingdom of Judah that had two tribes. And Habakkuk lived in that southern kingdom of Judah. And at this time, the northern kingdom had been destroyed by the Assyrians. They were the number one world power at the time. They came in and and, and took the northern kingdom into exile. So it's just the southern kingdom that's left. And Habakkuk's living in that southern kingdom. It's God's people. These are supposed to be the nation that's following after God and his rules. And he looks around. He turns on the news, just like you and me. Turns on the news. And he goes, I don't get it. Why is all this evil and injustice and innocent people being harmed? God, why don't you do something about it? And so he's wondering about these big questions. And I thank God that he stuck this little book in the Bible to help us as we grapple and wrestle with these questions in our own lives. And in fact, the name Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, his name means to wrestle, to grapple, wrestle, or embrace. And this book is here for us to be able to wrestle with these difficult questions. And what I want you to do is to realize that instead of running away from God, Habakkuk runs to God with his questions. And I want to encourage you this morning to think about, as we dive into this text together, I want you to think about one area of your life, one area of suffering, one area of pain, one area of confusion, one area where you're going, God, I don't understand your plan, one area of, of, of suffering that you're experiencing, But what's one area of your life where it's got you scratching your head going, God, I don't get it. God, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you intervene? And instead of running away from God this morning, I want to encourage us to run to God with our questions and our doubts and our wondering and to bring it to God in prayer because that's exactly what Habakkuk does. And so I want to invite you to grab a Bible right now. Turn to the book of Habakkuk with me. You can grab your Bible app or those black Bibles in the pew in front of you. It's on page 938 there. If you don't own a Bible, take one of those home with you. It's our gift to you. If you're looking in your own Bible trying to find this book, it is right before the famous book of Zephaniah. And so just go one right before that. Not helpful. Okay. Uh, It's right after the famous book of Nahum. Okay. Everyone's got it now. You guys are good. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. And we're going to look at a passage from each of the three chapters. So keep your Bible open. We're going to look at chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, just little, little sections of each of them. And in the first part, what we're seeing is Habakkuk is bringing his, his questions, his wondering to God. God, why are you allowing this? So Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. You don't do anything, God. Or cry out violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice as I turn on the news? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law, the law of God specifically, is paralyzed. People are not following God's ways. And justice never prevails. He's saying, God, where's your justice? Where's your justice? The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. 
And so what we see is he is wrestling with God. He's wrestling with these questions. He's going, God, I don't understand. As I look at, at our nation, or this nation that's supposed to be God's people, and it's filled with evil and, and, and innocent people being harmed. God, why don't you do something about it? God, where is your justice? Because I look around at my circumstances, and I don't see your justice. Why are you allowing this? And so God speaks up, and God responds to him. And God tells him, I am going to do something about this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use the Babylonians. Now, when you and I hear the word Babylonians, you're just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, For Habakkuk, that was like, no, they're evil. They're worse than us. They're the bad guys. And so it's kind of like when you were uh, working on a a team, a group project, and it was like, we're going to come up with ideas, okay? And we're just going to blue sky. You guys been there before? Uh, We're going to blue sky this. And so no idea is a bad idea, okay? Every idea is a good idea. You guys have been in in this scenario before, right? And so you raise your hand, and you're like, I got an idea, and you share an idea. And you're like, no, that's a bad idea, (laughs) right? You've been there. And so God raises his hand and he goes, okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with this injustice. I'm going to deal with this violence. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use the Babylonians. And Habakkuk goes, God, bad idea. Okay, anyone else got a better idea here, okay? And so he's like, no, God, how could you use them? How could you allow those who are evil to bring justice on your nation? Why don't you do something about the Babylonians? I mean, they're the bad ones. They're the bad guys. They're evil. And in fact, what we see throughout Scripture all the way through Revelation is that Babylon symbolizes evil, even beyond just that the nation of Babylon. It becomes symbolic throughout Scripture for evil and injustice and wickedness and sin in the world. And so God responds a second time to Habakkuk. As Habakkuk's going, God, why don't you do something about the Babylonians? And God says, I will. God says, I will. And he tells Habakkuk to write down the prophecy he's about to give him. He says, write down this promise that I'm about to give you. Put it on tablets so that people, uh, generations from now, including us, can read it and can stand on these promises. And so here's what God tells in chapter 2. Turn there with me. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Here's what God tells Habakkuk. Chapter 2, beginning of verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, write down this promise, write down the vision I'm about to give you, and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it and read it, saying, like, make it big so that you and I, we don't need to put glasses on, like, you can read it as you're running. Write it down, for the revelation awaits an appointed time, which means that there is an intentional time that God is going to bring this promise to fulfillment. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. Everybody say, wait for it. Wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. He said, I promise this. This is going to happen, but you got to wait for it. And then verse 4, he says this, see the enemy, the Babylonians, They are puffed up, they're arrogant, they're prideful. God says, I know that. They're evil. He says, his desires are not upright, they're not righteous. His intentions, the intentions of their hearts are evil and destructive. God says, I know that. But the righteous person, the believer, the Christ follower, will live by his faithfulness, or other translations say, by his faith. And then he goes on, And he, in verse 6 and 9 and 15 and beyond, he gives five woes. 
And now this is not like you're watching TV and you're like, I didn't expect that. Whoa, like that kind of thing. It's woes are judgments that God brings. And five judgments that God gives against Babylon. And he says, I will deal with them. Here's his promise. I'm going to deal with the evil and the injustice and the sin and the destruction and the evil person who is causing harm on the innocent. But God says what? Wait for it. He says, wait for it. You got to wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. And what God is promising to Habakkuk is a promise for us. He says, in the end, that as you look out and you say, God, how can you allow this to go on? God doesn't intervene in every instance of evil here on earth. He's given us this free will, and we choose to sin. And, and, and in this fallen, broken world, there will continue to be evil and destruction. But God promises there will be a day. Wait for it. He is going to deal with it. He is going to bring his justice. He's going to make things right. But you've got to wait for it. Now, with a, a show of hands here, who here loves waiting? Anybody? Okay, nobody. I'll, one, okay, two. A couple middle schoolers love waiting. You guys can't wait for school to start, right? Yeah. You're just excited for school. All right, so most of us, most of us don't love waiting. Um, I'm the same way. So if I go to Disneyland and I've got the option of the two-hour line or the fast pass line, I'm like you, right? We're going for the fast pass line. In fact, I will skip a ride, send my family, my friends, whoever we're with. I'll take everyone's tickets. I'm like, you guys go on that ride. I'm going to go find the next fast pass, right? You guys do this? And, and I'll, I'll get all the fast passes ready. I'll skip a ride in order to get fast pass for the next ride because I don't like waiting. And I'm in a season of waiting right now. I'm waiting uh, for the NHL to start. <laughs> It's painful. It's summer break right now. Can I get an amen from the hockey fans? All right, all five of us. Come on, church. All right, so 38 days until the NHL starts, but who's counting? Not me. All right, so anyway, it's painful. We're waiting for that. Um, DMV, enough said, right? We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. Um, But on a more serious note, I remember uh, a season of waiting that my wife and I went through. Um, we've been married 12 years now, and I know you look at me and you're like, did you get married when you were 13? Um, don't, be, don't be confused by this baby face, okay? Don't be deceived. Um, so we've been married 12 years, and, uh, and we, uh, we struggled with infertility. And so we wanted to have a baby, and it wasn't happening, and we were waiting. And so during that season, we began praying. We began inviting the church to pray. Some of you were praying for us. And so we, we were praying, and we were waiting, and it wasn't happening. And my wife, Carolyn, she's one of four girls, so she's got three sisters. And uh, we got married first, okay? We got married first, and so we were trying for kids first. And, and uh, if life is fair, we should have kids first, but that's not how it happened. So one of her other sisters got married, and her and her husband on the honeymoon, they just looked at each other and, boom, got pregnant. Wow. Yeah, it was a miracle. And we're like, what? How, what? how does that work? And so... We were smiling for them on the outside. We're like, we're so happy for you. But on the inside, we were like, man, this God, like we want to have a baby and we're waiting. Um, and so time went by, they had their baby. And then that same couple, they looked at each other once again and boom, they got pregnant a second time. And we were like, we were like smiling on the outside. Yeah, middle schoolers, um, Manny will explain it later how this all works. <laughs> 
Um, and so, uh, and so. We're smiling on the outside, and we're struggling on the inside going, God, this is not fair. We were married first. We wanted to have kids first, and it's not happening. And so we were waiting. It was painful. No joke. Another sister gets married, her and her husband on the honeymoon. They're not even wanting to have kids yet. They look at each other, and boom, they're pregnant. And we're like, God, this is not fair. And in the waiting, it was painful. And the waiting was difficult, and we were wondering, God, are you ever going to answer this prayer? God, are you ever going to um, be faithful in this? And, and we lived in the season of waiting. In year six of, of our marriage, um, God blessed us, and we had our first child, uh, KJ, who's now five years old, going on six. And then a couple years later, God blessed us. We had another boy, uh, Jed, who's three. A couple years later, God blessed us. We got a one-and-a-half-year-old little princess uh, named Karis. And then surprise, uh, February, we're having our fourth little child. That was our announcement. So we're like, God, you can stop blessing us now. Like, we've got enough kids. Yeah, we're afraid to look at each other after this. We're like, yeah. So it's, it's easy for me now to laugh with you about this. Because I'm looking at it in the rearview mirror. I'm looking at the rearview mirror going, God, look at how faithful you were. I got four kids now. But let me tell you, year five, year six of waiting was painful, was difficult, was hard. And some of you are in that place of waiting right now. What is it that you're waiting for? What is it that you're asking God for? It might be pain in your life that he's asking you to take away. Maybe it's healing. You're asking God, God, would you heal the cancer? What are you waiting for? Maybe for you it's you're single, and you're like coffee meets bageling and e-harmony, the whole deal, and you're like, God, come on, hook it up. And you're waiting. What is it that you're waiting for? Maybe, maybe for you it's the job. Like, God, we need this new job for the finances, and you're waiting on it. What is it that you are waiting for? God says to Habakkuk, wait for it. Wait for it. Now, currently for, for me, I'm in a season of waiting for healing of my back pain. About a year and a half ago, um, my family, we were driving on the, the 405 North, and, uh, and we got in a car accident. And now, just so you know, it was not my fault. I was driving, but it was not my fault. You get more sympathy if the accident's not your fault. So I'm just making that clear. Um, so the, the carpool lane came to a complete stop, and so I stopped. And I looked up in, in my rearview mirror, and a Toyota Tundra uh, did not realize that the freeway was stopping and slammed into us and then took off. Um, and so it's unjust. It's, you know, the whole deal. So we're all upset. But um, thankfully... Uh, God protected my family. None of them were hurt except for me. And so I had kind of turned into the impact, uh, seeing it coming. And so I have some lower back pain and a bulge disc. And so I've gone to chiropractic. I've done acupuncture. I've done the physical therapy and stretching. And there's been a, a lot of help in it, but there's ongoing pain. And, uh, and there's a, a, an issue in which, like, if I lift something heavy, it reoccurs, the pain. And so um, it's been difficult. It's been um, a difficult season. I can't lift heavy stuff. So I'm like, hey, middle schooler, or like, hey, middle school girl, can you pick that up and carry it over here? Because it's, it's embarrassing. 
It's embarrassing. But, um, and so I'm living with this pain, and, and, and part of the pain was I started to have sciatic nerve pain. So there's a, a nerve that goes down your back, uh, from your back down your leg. And I thought that was something that only old women um, had. You know, I thought sciatica was like an old woman thing, but apparently not because um, I've had that pain. So it's a shooting pain that goes down your leg, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and at, at times um, when it flares up, you can, it's hard to sleep at night. Um, it, it's, it's brutal. And so I've been praying for, and I'm not looking for sympathy. Thank you, Manny. Uh, I'm not looking for sympathy in it, but I'm just letting you know that I'm in a season of waiting in that and praying and asking, God, would you fully heal my back? Now, I don't know if that's going to happen in six months. I don't know if that's going to happen in six years. Or I don't know if that's going to happen in 60 years when God takes me from this body into my eternal home. But I'm in a season of waiting. And God tells Habakkuk to wait for it. Now, what is it that we're waiting for? We're waiting for God to move. In the season of waiting, you are waiting on God to do what only God can do. It's not something completely passive, like waiting isn't don't do anything. It's to do something active, which is to put your faith and trust in God, that God is at work behind the scenes in ways that you can't see yet. God says in the midst of, of the waiting. I want you to do something. I want you to trust me. And Habakkuk, in his circumstances, God says, wait for it. And God was faithful to his promise. And so in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they, and then they uh, disciplined the nation of Judah and brought them into exile. And Habakkuk uh, most likely lived and saw that come to fruition. But what Habakkuk did not see is the, the revelation in chapter 2 that he was told to write down and to wait for, he never probably got to see the fruition of that. It was the next generation that saw the Persians come and discipline the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk spends the rest of his life waiting for God to defeat the evil of the Babylonians. And let me say, you and I, we, we probably will not see in our lifetime Jesus come back. Maybe we will, but maybe we won't. Jesus come back and deal with the injustice and evil in our society and, and here in this world. And we're in the season of waiting. But what I want you to see is that although Habakkuk's circumstances don't change, he doesn't look around and go, wow, God's justice just appeared everywhere. His circumstances don't change, but one thing that's very significant does change. His faith. And Habakkuk begins to trust God. And although he doesn't get to see it in his lifetime, he teaches us this idea, which is our big idea, that faith is not in what we see, but in what God says. Faith is not in what we see in our circumstances. Faith is not what, in what we see in the ultrasound. Faith is not in what we get in the doctor's report. Faith is not what we see in the, the circumstances of uh, our lives. But faith is in what God says, his promises, and ultimately in his person, who he is, his goodness. And Habakkuk learns to walk by faith. God says the righteous will live by faith. Apostle Paul, he picks this up and, and, and repeats this in the New Testament, that the righteous will live by faith, that you and I are called to walk by faith. And I believe that God is wanting to grow in you and in me this morning, a faith that trusts him. And now faith, 
is, is really trust and leaning on God. Like I could say, I, I trust that that table could hold me up. But faith is really putting your weight on the table, putting your whole leaning into it. And God is saying, would you trust me in the waiting? Would you lean into me in the waiting? So what do we do in this waiting season? How do we not become bitter in the midst of bitter circumstances? Because I know the reality is that, that you have pain and suffering and difficulty in your life. How do you walk through seasons of difficulty and not grow distant from God? Well, Habakkuk shows us how. He shows us to worship through the waiting. We worship God in the season of waiting. And Habakkuk, he writes in chapter 3, he writes a worship song. I want you to turn there with me. He writes chapter 3. It's a song of praise, a song of worship to God. But what I want you to notice is that his circumstances have not changed. He, he, he looks around and the news still says the same thing. His circumstances have not changed, but something significant has his faith and trust in God. And so in verse 17, if you'll look there with me, chapter 3, verse 17, he says these words, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. This is his worship song to God. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. What he's saying is that we are broke, the ultrasound doesn't look good. Things are not looking great in our circumstances. But verse 18, he says these words, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He says, even though we can't see it in our circumstances, he says, I will worship God. I will rejoice in him. I will have faith. I will trust him. I will find my joy in him. Let me ask you, do you trust that God has a plan for this world that is better than the evil and the suffering that we're currently experiencing? And do you trust that God has a plan for your life that is better than the sadness and the sorrow and the pain that you're experiencing? And will you worship him in the waiting? See, as we respond together in a time of worship, I want to ask us this question. Can you put it on the screen? It's actually not a question, it's a statement. But though the blank and the blank, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though the job hasn't come in and our finances are getting low, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though the doctor's report isn't good, and it doesn't look like things are getting any better. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will worship him. Though our finances are not doing well, and FPU class can't come fast enough, right? I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I'm still single, God, and I'm not getting any younger, still I will rejoice in the Lord. What's your fill in the blank this morning? What is it in your circumstances that have you scratching your head, wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this? And will you and I be people of faith who say, God, I will trust you. I will worship you in the waiting. You see, my prayer is that we would be people who would grow in our faith this morning. That we would have a faith that isn't simply in what we see in our circumstances, but a faith 
that stands on the promises of God. You see, faith is not in what we see, but in what God says. Let's pray together for that type of faith this morning as we continue in worship. And as we pray together, I know that pain can sometimes yell. And sometimes the pain will yell, don't trust God. God doesn't love you. God's not going to care for you. And sometimes hope is only a whisper. But my prayer is that you would hear the whisper of God this morning. That his spirit would whisper to you. He's got you. He's with you. He's working for your good. He loves you. He's going to walk with you through this. And he's got good things in store for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God. Lord, I pray, God, in this moment and in this space and in this time, God, that we would worship you. A God who is good. A God who is gracious. A God who went to a cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin and the evil in our own hearts. And God, that you rose from the grave, bringing victory over death and defeat and sin. And so God, as we wait in this waiting time and the evil of the world impacts our lives, impacts the ones that we love, God, we wait on you. So God, we look to you in faith and in hope. God, that in your timing and in your ways, God, you'll bring the promise to fruition. God, help us to be people of faith who walk by faith and not by sight. We love you and we trust you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.